Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, our Tuesday edition. We're glad you're able to join us today. And if you're coming in from the uh, Zoom app, we invite you to ask the panelists questions uh, as we go through some discussions and answering other questions. Uh, talk a little bit more about some of that technical stuff on how you do that. But first, let me bring in the other guys. Scott Smeltzer is in uh, Gettysburg. I think there for a minute. Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. How you doing, Scott? I've got a catastrophe here at the house. I've got to take care of this move. Okay, go right ahead. <laughs> Let's jump over to Stephen over in Harrisburg. Hi, Stephen. How are you doing? Doing well, Drew. Welcome, everybody. Good to see you. Let me just stop the sharing so we can see everybody full face, such as Jeff Smeltzer coming in from... Uh-oh, what did I do wrong here? I I'm here. Uh, I don't know what you did wrong, but I'm here. Okay, I just... <clears throat> I'm doing fine. Everything everything's good going. Everything's going good. And uh, Jonathan, Jonathan is with us, our webcast engineer. How you doing, Jonathan? Doing well. Good to be with you guys. Good to have all of you here. Um, I already said hi to Scott. He just had to back out for a minute. But if you're coming in from the Zoom app, which you get at BibleQuest.tv, um, you can use the Q and A button to ask your questions, give us comments, feedback. You can even Use the hand button. There's a little hand icon. If you decide you wanted to, yeah, like that, like Jeff had just put his hand up there. <laughs> but anyway, that would allow us to uh, bring you in with your audio to talk with us directly if you like to do that. However, you can't do that on Facebook. How do they do it on Facebook, Stephen? If you're tuning in on Facebook Live right now, uh, feel free to leave your comments and questions in the comments below, and we'll try to respond to those uh, as soon as we can. Great. So we have some things that might be controversial today. Um, not that we want to talk about controversial things, but the, the, the season, the time of the year. Um, we're very patriotic in July. It's one of uh, America's favorite months, uh, July 4th to be exact. And so one of the questions that came in is from Mark. And Mark asked, I was at church Sunday and they only sang USA patriotic music, and they prominently displayed the USA flag next to the cross. This made me uncomfortable. I'm grateful to live in America, but I don't worship America. Is it appropriate to sing USA patriotic music and display the U.S. flag in church? I feel too many Americans, I'm sorry, I feel too many Americans raise the USA flag to idol worship status? Good question, guys. Really is an interesting question. It's an interesting scenario that he describes there. I wonder if we were to go back into the first century, if we would have been shocked if in a congregation of Christians, the worship service had consisted of songs, patriotic songs about the Roman Empire and uh, prominently displaying the, in, the Roman, in, the, what do you call it, the can't say flag, but, you know. Ensign? Ensign, yeah. Um, I think we'd say, oh, no, that, that wouldn't be right. But then you have to ask the question, what's the difference? And I think for some people, the idea is, well, America is, is what? A Christian nation or people will use probably different terms to describe it. But the fact is, America is a nation among the nations in the world. Uh, there's nothing... Uh, special about 
America in the sense that God has not somehow chosen the United States of America in the same way that he chose Israel in the Old Testament, though a lot of people sometimes get that kind of idea. And some people will take offense when, you know, they'll hear the words, there's nothing special about America and stop there, stop listening to the rest of what you said. And they'll say, wait a minute, there is something special about America. And what they're thinking of may be the great, great blessing that has been bestowed upon this country, the freedom that we've enjoyed and, and that sort of thing. And we can, I think we can rightly attribute some of that to the fact that this nation has at least on a level greater than many other nations in history, had a profound respect for the Bible as the Word of God. Uh, but when you think about this nation and you think about the laws concerning homosexuality and you think about the number of abortions legally performed in this country and you think about a whole slew of things, you can't really argue that this country is a Christian nation. Back to the question, though, for anybody that just came in, it says the this gentleman was at a church Sunday, and they only sang USA patriotic music and displayed the flag right next to the cross. And so Scott, we're guessing that. I'm sorry, Scott. Just we don't need details, but we we I think all of us would like to know: is everything okay in your house? Uh, it seems to be settled down. Luke has a very high pain threshold, so when he is yelling that he's hurt, he's hurt, and he got stung by something. Oh, oh! Well, you need to go take care of that. Uh, just take care of. It. Okay, okay. Yeah. So on this, uh, uh, a fellow goes to church, and they spend. They do all the songs about our country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure some might have been like "God Bless America" or different things, but all patriotic songs. And there's the flag. Let's think about this. Uh, is there anything wrong with loving your country? No. No. Enjoying, you know, patriotism and the history of your nation? No. no. But when people come to worship, our focus should be where? On God, his yeah. kingdom. Yeah. So let's just, tr- to see kind of how ridiculous this would be, let's transfer mm-hmm. it somewhere else. What would we think about if we looked at a worship service in Russia where instead of singing praise to God, it was hymns about Mother Russia and a big Soviet flag. Would are that be saying, more Christians in Russia? Are you saying you're visiting Russia as an American yeah. and I, Christian? I, whether you're visiting there or just see pictures of it, should Christians in Russia this next Sunday, instead of singing praises to God, should all the songs be about the Soviet, the old Soviet Union or the modern Russia or the Russian flag, that type of thing. Would that be an appropriate worship service for a church? No. Um, Just like it wouldn't be right if it was uh, something similar in Guatemala, if it was something similar in South Africa, or wherever you are. We're we're there from all sorts of different nations, even if we're all in that particular location from the same nation. We're there to worship God. His kingdom transcends the kingdoms of men. And when we get too caught up in that and start to focus the yeah. worship that's in, intended for God on people, it can become a form of idolatry. Yeah. And I don't know if churches are even allowed in North Korea, but let's imagine that you, that there was a church in North Korea and you went in and they had a big picture of dear leader and all the songs are about glorifying North Korea. Well, that should help us put in perspective the appropriateness of us turning a worship service into a patriotic group. But Scott, I've heard it say that those countries were not founded on 
biblical principles where America was. So we want to bring that part of it in. What do you say to that? Well, there are biblical principles that have been that have affected our nation to a greater degree than many other nations. That's true. Uh, you look at, for instance, in the Soviet you, after World War II, uh, you look at the regions that the Soviets uh, liberated and the regions that we liberated, and how did we treat our enemies after World War II? How did we treat Germany and Japan in particular? Did we try to just take advantage of them and manipulate them and you know, drum them in, into eternal submission? What did we do? Well, there, were, there was mercy and compassion and a yeah, and and that was the, the war ended in what 45, 44, 45. By the 1960s, Japan and 70s, Japan and Germany are becoming major world powers, you know. And you look at what the Soviets did. So we've got some good history of some behavior that's better than the rest of the world, but then you come up with some things Jeff mentioned, uh, like our, our treatment of the unborn and some other things. And, and then what about this? You know what our main export seems to be on a lot of levels these days? I, I, I haven't looked at a chart, but when I lived in East Europe, people were not driving vehicles made in America. They were not, what, what everybody was consumed with made in America was, you know what? What? Entertainment. Our entertainment industry. And when you look at the content of our entertainment industry, if you live in a Muslim country in the Middle East and you just turn on American TV and watch it, is there any doubt why they would view us as the great Satan? Yeah, it, it's a bunch of garbage. Yeah, so like any nation, we've done some things wrong, we've done some things badly, but that doesn't make us a Christian nation. And I do think one thing that confuses people sometimes is, you know, we have in God we trust printed on our money and things like that. You know, uh, many of our leaders will end speeches with uh, God bless America, you know, kind of a thing that people feel like it's God is bound up with this nation in a special way. And again, there are other nations that did that. I mean, Scott, you have the Nazi belt buckle, right? Yeah. And what did it say on it? Here's the swastika. I picked this up while I was in Europe. And above the swastika, it says, Gott mit uns, which is German for God with us. God is with us. Yeah. And so any nation can put that on their belt buckle or on their money or whatever that, that don't make it so. Sure. And we need to be really careful not to put America up on this pedestal and act like we're not just another one of the nations. Um, and so, and again, coming back to the worship service, why are we there? What's the purpose of our worship? Um, it's to come out from the nations and be citizens of the kingdom of God. And it's not saying that we're not in submission to our respective governments, but uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And, and this is the problem, I think, for many people. They really have not truly identified themselves with the kingdom of God in their thinking. Their loyalty really is to the United States of America and, um, you know, Scott, you made the statement a little bit earlier. We should, when we come into the, the assembly, we should be worshiping God. If you have a, an assembly of Christians supposedly there to worship God and they are singing all patriotic songs and the American flag is prominently paraded and portrayed and that's what it's all about, I would say they are worshiping their God. 
but their God is not the God of the Bible. Their God is the United States of America. I was glad when Mark had included that in his conversation. He said, this made me uncomfortable. Let's, let's look at this and transfer over to a second question with, with this scenario. Suppose there's Christians in Russia, and on May Day, I think they have a big May Day political, patriotic thing over there in Russia. Up on May Day at church, they're all, it's Russian flags, and they're singing about Russia and Russian military might and everything. And in the United States on 4th of July, we were waving American flags and we're singing about, you know, America. And then two weeks later, war breaks out between Russia and America, the United States. And then people in churches in the United States go against war against these Russians and the Christians in Russia, people in churches in Russia, <coughs> <coughs> start fighting militarily against the United States, both of them could make some arguments. What are some arguments that both of them could make? Could the Americans say, well, there was war in the Old Testament? But it, uh, it also predicted a prophesied, I can't get, I don't know, remember the verse where it said, but in the Lord's kingdom, there will not be battling like that, right? Well, that, that's kind of the idea there in Isaiah 2, where beating the uh, swords and the plowshares and that type of thing, looking forward to the kingdom of God, which is going to be a different kind of kingdom. But let's just look at this scenario. So as uh, here in America, I get ready to go kill those nasty Russians. And in Russia, the Russian brethren get ready to go kill those nasty Americans. And might the Americans say, well, of course we can go to this war because there was war in the Old Testament. So could the Russians. They could Russians, say, well, there was war in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is as applicable to them as it is to us. <laughs> and if the American says, well, but I'm to obey my government, what can the Russians say? Well, I'm to obey my government. Yes. And then, and then this, this is not all that's wrong with it, but just to highlight something. Then you have two people that have been baptized into Christ aiming at each other and trying to blow each other's brains out. So obviously the conclusion is it's all right for Christians to kill Christians in war. Well, maybe that's the, maybe maybe there was something wrong in the premise. Right. <laughs> and that's what we get to, is this is not what the Lord intended for Christians to be involved in. And does that mean, okay, I'm going to shoot that guy, but first let me ask. <laughs> Are you a Christian? No. <laughs> <laughs> Which doesn't, doesn't really fit. Puts us in the ironic position of, here I am, I've got the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you a Christian? No, I'm not. Ah, good. He, he's on his way to hell. I'll send him there immediately. Yeah. And so let, let's first address, why is there, should we notice a distinction between the Old Testament times and the nation of Israel and today? What's it, what, what are some important distinctions between the two? One is we're under a new covenant. Okay, yeah. And so just what are some passages from the New Testament that use military language but make the point that we're fighting a different type of war? Ephesians chapter 6 is one that comes to mind where he mentioned specifically that, uh, let me get the verse right here, it's Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 
Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Okay, so I should put on my armor. Okay, keep going. Yeah, verse 12 is what's helpful here. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Uh, So this armor of God is not the armor you were thinking there, Scott. Not the armor I was thinking. But you know, it, it's that if we understand what kind of armor it is, that you could write a good song based on this passage. Um, Can you come up with a title? Um, I could come up with an author. <laughs> Stephen, yeah. Stephen Rouse has written a very, very beautiful song, a powerful song based on this passage, putting on the whole armor of God. So a little plug for Stephen's song. Well, actually, it's not based on this one. It's based on um, Romans 13, the end of uh, that passage, put on the armor of light. But it makes some references. Oh, you're right. Of course you're right. It's your song, but (laughs) (laughs) my mistake. (laughs) No, there's lots of good songs that come from this passage. But I think one thing that's helpful about uh, our our singing, our songs, because we have a lot of battle songs. Yeah. Um, You know, uh, faith is the victory. The battle belongs to the Lord. Um, Soldiers of Christ arise. Um, First Timothy, Paul uses the analogy of a of a soldier in in writing to Timothy. Um, I said First Timothy. It's in. Um, well, it is. It, now I'm, I'm confused. I, I've drawn a blank here. Help me well, out. Go ahead. You go ahead and unblank that blank while I ask Scott a question. Scott, okay. this this goes back a little bit to the first question. We're on the second question, which is: Is it a sin to fight in the military? But we're talking about songs and one just popped in my head that I was thinking about. What about the, I don't know the official title, but it's referred to as the battle hymn of the Republic. It's a beautiful. Oh, hymn. Yeah. It's a song that was popular during the civil war. Uh, and a lot of people, you could sing that song with a spiritual application or you could sing that song. And some of them did with a very military application. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like when Stephen read, put on your armor. And I'm like, right. Uh, which way do you mean it? Uh, but let's listen to this passage from Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse uh, 3. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but mighty before God to the casting down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and everything that is exalted against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity. <laughs> to the obedience of Christ. So that's the warfare that we have a responsibility to be engaged in mm-hmm. here in the New Testament. So, and that's one of the differences. Uh, did God tell uh, the Israelites to go give correspondence courses to the Amalekites? <laughs> no, indeed. I don't no. destroy them. And so one of the differences is that Israel was being told, you will be my people. You will get the land. These nations, that their iniquity is full and they've committed all these abominations, they don't deserve to get to be in this land anymore. I'm going to use you to take them out. But then there was also the warning that what? You get you like them, I'll take you out too. Yeah, yeah. And, and God used other nations to take them out. The northern was taken out by... Assyria. Assyria. Southern, taken out by... Babylon. Did that justify the behavior of the Babylonians? No. 
Because in Isaiah, it says, after the destroyer is destroyed, I'll have the destroyer destroyed. So, and, and there's no nation today that has been given the statement from God, these are my people. This is my nation. We don't have a theocracy today. We don't have a nation today that matches what Israel was in the Old Testament. Just on this point about, oh, go ahead, Stephen. I'll come back in a minute. I'm about to bring up something different. Go ahead. Well, just on this point about the Old Testament nation of Israel and God's instructions to them, let's just consider one passage where he instructs them in warfare. And this is Deuteronomy, the 20th chapter. And I'm going to start in verse 10, where it says, when you approach a city to fight against it, you shall offer it terms of peace. And he goes on and he talks about that. And then he says down in verse 15, thus you shall do to all the cities that are very far from you, which are not of the cities of these nearby, only in the cities of these peoples that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, you shall not leave alive anything that breathes. The Israelites were commanded by God to go in and utterly destroy man, woman, and child in the cities that he was giving them in the promised land. Uh, now, here's a question for everyone. Was it right for them to do that? And the answer is, yes, it was, because God told them to do that. It, it was God's judgment that was being executed upon those other nations, and Israel was simply a servant of God doing what God gave them to do. Uh, today, if God instructed us in the same way, if he said, go and destroy the state of Alabama and do not leave man, woman, or child life. And I'm from Alabama. That's why I picked Alabama. So uh, uh, not that I have anything against Alabama. I'm just trying to make it a point. As horrific as that would sound to us, then it would be right. But unless we have that instruction from God, and I'm going to say we don't, uh, then, then that would be wrong for us. What we have is, uh, is an obligation to do unto others as we would have them do unto us, to love our neighbor, to reach others with the gospel, the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, just to that point, Jeff, I think it's really important to establish that uh, from everything I'm aware of, we do not have any revelation, any modern revelation, about which nations are to go to be killing which nations. Uh, we cannot determine uh, God's specific revealed will about those things. Is God still active in the nations? Mm -hmm. I believe absolutely so. But as far as comparing that to ancient Israel, where God came specifically through the prophets and said, you go destroy these people, we simply do not have that for our days now. Um, one passage that sometimes comes up that I think it'd be good for us to discuss is Romans 13. Um, yeah. so it talks about our relationship to the government, and it talks about the government bearing the sword, which is sometimes referenced in this conversation. So let's take a look at that. Uh, Romans 13, starting in verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 7. Romans 13, verse 1, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. Now, here's the phrase that sometimes comes up. This is in verse 4. But if you do wrong, be afraid, 
for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So what observations can we make about the context of this passage that may help in this conversation? First off, that the context is about obeying the government, not going overseas and attacking people under a different government. The context here is who is the government at the time? This is written to the Romans uh, in the first century AD. And of course, who's the reigning power at the time? Oh, wasn't it the God-fearing Roman Empire? <laughs> it was not the God-fearing Roman Empire. Uh, it was what would soon be the God-claiming uh, Roman Empire. You would have Caesars that would sometimes claim to be gods. But there were benefits. As corrupt as the Roman Empire was, there was value in having the Roman Empire. Do we ever see Paul appeal to his rights under the Roman Empire? Yeah. Yeah. A couple times yeah. in the book of Acts. Uh, and and he, he notably says in Acts chapter 26, if I've done something worthy of death, I don't refuse to die. Uh, there was a brother in Christ several years ago in Alabama who, as a young man, got caught up in the wrong crowd. And one thing led to another, led to another. Eventually, in a home invasion, someone was killed, and he was sentenced to death. He returned to the Lord after that, and during his time in prison, he would write and he would try to talk to young people about not starting down the wrong path because you don't know where it's going to end up. But he wasn't, like, you might recall some years ago, there was somebody in Texas wanting to be pardoned by the president for a murder they did because now they're a Christian. He wasn't begging for an escape from his legal responsibility for what he did. He was using his time telling young people, don't make the mistake I did. Serve God, don't make the mistake I did. And then eventually he was put to death by the, by the state. Um, and Romans 13 says, the government does not bear the sword in vain. So be afraid. Realize that they can do that. Paul will say, if I've done something worthy of death, I, I don't object. You can kill me. But Paul had not. He'd been accused of a crime he didn't commit, and he appealed to Caesar. And uh, the Roman roads were used by Paul to travel as he's establishing churches. And he and others would be paying their taxes. And they didn't say, I refuse to pay my taxes or I refuse to obey the government because it's not the perfect government. So to, to clarify what you're saying, Scott, the idea here is that using this passage in Romans 13 about the government bearing the sword, Paul is not at all talking here about uh, the government going out and fighting against other nations or even defending itself. It's talking about maintaining order among its own citizens. It might include defending itself if, if some spies from uh, an, uh, North Korea or Iran came into the United States and were sneaking around trying to plant explosives, um, they would, you know, Romans 13, there are authorities here that have the right to enforce our laws and 
they should hear those and they can be held accountable for that. But the maybe a, a simple way to see it is this. When Nation A goes over and fights against Nation B, Nation A is often shooting at people in Nation B that are obeying the laws of Nation B. Mm-hmm. Romans 13 was not written just to Americans. It's for everybody. I, I would also mention this about Romans 13. Romans 13 is not a directive to governments. Romans 13 is written to Christians, and it's written in a context where Paul is talking to Christians about their responsibilities to um, bless those who persecute them, curse not, uh, leave vengeance to God, that sort of thing. And as he talks to Christians, and he's still talking to Christians in Romans 13, the point is not governments, you need to do this. The point is Christians, you need to submit yourselves to the government under which you live because God is going to use the governments to keep order in this world and to punish evildoers. So it's really not, it's, it's, an, it's really a misuse of Romans 13 to go to this and decide what it is right or wrong for a government to do. It's a passage that's telling us what is right or wrong for a Christian to do uh, with the understanding God is going to use governments to accomplish certain things. That really doesn't speak to whether or not the government is necessarily right or wrong in what it does. So um, you had said a few minutes ago, Jeff, uh, you talked about, I forgot where you were quoting it from, about God um, commanding the Israelites to go in and uh, destroy a, a nation, including women and children. And um, we don't have that today, fortunately, but it was given to them as a command yeah. back then. And I've, I've been in conversations where people say, well, how can he be a moral God then to do that? In fact, uh, Rick had brought in a question just now saying, how can a just God command his people to kill innocent children? And this is all related because it's the government and Israel was, a, was, was, was not only a theocracy, it was a nation, right? A physical nation. So how do you want to respond to that? You know, God is just, and there are sometimes when what God does is just, and it may not seem just to us, but what we have to remember is God is just, and maybe the problem is our own perspective. But when we think about those those cities that were utterly destroyed by Israel, including children, I would suggest that we, we don't have to assume that those children are are condemned to eternal destruction, that they're condemned to hell. In fact, God may have thus been sparing some of those children from a life that would have been theirs had they been raised in the pagan culture wherein they were born. But I want to mention this passage in First Kings the thirteenth First Kings the fourteenth chapter, when there's a prophecy about Jeroboam's house and what is going to become of his house, including the fact that all the males of his house are going to be killed. Uh, this is in the context of an inquiry about his son who is sick, and the son's going to die. Here's what is said in verse 12 to the wife of Jeroboam. You arise, go to your house. When your feet enter the city, the child will die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. For he alone of Jeroboam's family shall come to the grave. Because in him something good was found. The Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. The point here is the rest of Jeroboam's house is going to be destroyed violently. But this child who is going to die as an infant. The Lord saw something good in this child, and this child is going to come to the grave. I simply mention this to say that God in his wisdom and his infinite power, and from a perspective of eternity, 
may see that there's something actually better for a, a child in some case to, to uh, be spared a life in a pagan culture. And but I'll leave that to the judgment of a just God. And, and add to that, we really don't understand the level of evil that those pagan nations were at, where children were being tortured by parents, by the society. They were being offered uh, to one of their gods on fire. Or that would put them in, uh, I forget what they called it, but it was something where they put the child, the infant in. God, Moloch. God, Moloch, and they would offer him as a sacrifice. So these children were not living in a peaceful environment. Right. And ultimately only God is the one who has the perspective enough to be able to command those kinds of things. And he has not commanded those kinds of things in our day and time. And that's just something so important for us to keep coming back to, because when we get into using the old Testament as justification for different kinds of things, it's so easy to take things out of context, so easy to forget the difference in God's relationship to his people. Um, he had a physical nation doing physical outward things that are now inward and spiritual in the New Testament. We've already mentioned about that. We had another question come in um, from Will Ciota asking, does 2 Timothy 2, 3, and 4 have application to our involvement in national affairs? And uh, that verse says, so this is 2 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. Uh, share and suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. That's the passage I was trying to bring to mind a little bit earlier in, in talking about passages that use uh, the imagery of warfare and, and a soldier soldiering uh, with a spiritual application. Yeah. And I mean, I do think that this uh, and it is, is, like Jeff has just mentioned, it's spiritually applied. This is obviously not talking about serving as a physical soldier in an army of one of the nations of this world. Um, and it even talks about being careful not to get tangled up in what, in this case, is civilian pursuits. And there's a lot of things that could fit into that category. We have to be careful not to get too caught up in the things of this world. Scott? And so what we have here is an analogy. There's a similar one in First Corinthians 9, but I'd like us to go ahead and get in just a minute here to Luke 3, where the conversation between John the Baptist and some soldiers. Uh, but on, just on the point of analogy, this is very much like 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul is saying that while working in the gospel, he had the right to be paid. And he said, what soldier ever serves at his own charges, who plants a vineyard, doesn't eat the fruit thereof, who feeds a flock, and doesn't eat the milk of the flock. He's just pointing at three things where you know, uh, people are uh, compensated for what they are doing, and it's an analogy. Uh, in Luke 3, however, we have actual soldiers in a conversation with John the Baptist. So John the Baptist's main message that we see over and over again is going to be what? Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Is at hand. Uh, in Matthew 3, 2, John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus is going to begin with that same message. Matthew 4, is it 15 or 17? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he'll send the apostles out preaching repentance. And in Luke chapter 3, um, we have him calling for uh, repentance. He says in verse 8, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of 
repentance. And then people start coming to him in verse 12. There come to him publicans to be baptized. And they said, teacher, what must we do? So these would be, if we were going to correspond a publican in that day to someone in our day, this would be a what? Tax collector. Yeah, an IRS agent, a tax collector, local tax collector, federal tax collector, whatever. Does John the Baptist say, you must get out of your government job? You cannot be a tax collector. Not at all. John the Baptist says, somebody read it for us. Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Yeah. Now, he's preaching repentance. Why do you suppose he would tell the tax collectors, don't collect more than you should? Because they were stealing. They were stealing and they were marking it up higher than they were supposed to collect and they'd kept the proceeds. There, there was a temptation there to, to abuse that position. So he, said, he doesn't say don't do that. But he says, don't, don't abuse it and don't take more than you should. Then, who comes up to him in verse 14? Soldiers. <laughs> and what is their question? What shall we do? Being a soldier, what is it that we should do? Does he say, you must quit your job being a soldier? Mm-mm. No. No. What does he tell them to do? Do not exhort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be content with your wages. Okay. So give me a picture of what this would have been looked like. Extort no man by violence. Don't accuse anyone wrongfully. So you've got some merchant heading home from the market, and he's got his day's uh, receipts in his, in his little bag there, and some soldier comes up and gives him a rough time, and, and the soldier says, eh, leave me alone, let me go home. He says, turn over your receipts to me, and I'll let you go home. Otherwise, I'm going to... Uh, say that you were leading an insurrection and I'm going to haul you for... Yeah. These soldiers were in a law enforcement position. They're not... This is is, uh, territory. You don't have Roman citizens here, but they are under Roman law and the soldiers take care of things like bandits, uh, insurrection, insubordination, that type of thing. And so they're more of a peacekeeping or law enforcement unit at at this time. Now, Roman soldiers at other times and other places did other things. But at this time, that's basically what they're doing there. And they could have abused that authority just as Jeff described. I'm going to accuse you of a crime and say that you did it unless you do this. And, uh, of course, police officers have done the same. I was listening to uh, something interesting on uh, the radio uh, weeks ago and it was about a fellow in the New Orleans Police Department back in the 1970s and he was talking about the corrupt things that they would do and they would threaten to take people to jail and stuff unless they did this or unless they did that and so in this position of power you're not to do that he said extort from no man by violence neither accuse anyone wrongfully don't be padding your salary by falsely accusing people and and extorting them. Don't do that. Be content with your wages. So really, there's quite a bit of similarity between what he tells the tax collectors and the soldiers here. In both cases, he's saying, don't take advantage of your position. Don't take advantage of others by virtue of your position of authority over them. So let me make an... In neither case, does he tell them to quit their job. In both cases, he says, don't 
of music. Sure. So let me let me make the application for myself. Then I was in the, the Navy in, in mid-60s, and that's when I came in contact with the gospel. Um, but I didn't, no one ever told me that I had to quit being in the Navy. But once you are there, you're, fortunately I wasn't in Vietnam, so I didn't wasn't facing uh, any of that type of war activity. But what about a guy that was in the Army during that same time period, and he comes to he becomes a Christian. He's not to quit, but what would be the instructions to him? And let's even make it applicable today, applicable today. In any war, a man is now in the army and finds himself in that position. Let's 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 start with the tax collector and then go to the soldier in the analogy here. So Matthew was a tax collector. That that wasn't wrong. Uh, there were roads that abused it, but it wasn't wrong. Suppose Matthew, now a disciple of Jesus, gets assigned by the government. We're going to have, we're going to be feeding people the lions at the Colosseum. It's going to be a big deal, big turnout. And we're going to charge a tax for people to watch people being eaten by lions. We want you to set up there and tax the people so that they can watch people be eaten by lions. What would Matthew have done? Well, I'm a tax collector, and John didn't say don't collect taxes for people being eaten by lions, so I guess it's okay. Yeah, it's <laughs> obeying the government is one thing, but there's a point at which you don't obey the government. And in Acts 4 and 5, Peter makes very clear what that is. When the government, the Jewish government, Sanhedrin says, do not talk to people about Jesus. Peter you must says, obey God rather than men. Yes. So if Matthew is told to, now, he can't control everything as he's collecting taxes, which we're told to pay, Jesus said Pay your taxes. Right. Are we responsible for everything those taxes will be spent? No, no. The Roman government was doing things with taxes that a right. Christian would not have endorsed. But he is not, he's not, the tax isn't saying, the Christian is not responsible for everything the Roman government does with it. But when you have a specific situation where a tax collector is called upon to do something that would be contrary to the word of God, he has to obey God rather than He has to obey God rather than men. And if someone's a soldier and in the first century they're there and they're keeping peace and they're, you know, capturing criminals that need to be captured and they're putting down insurrections that need to be, John the Baptist did not tell them you have to quit your job. He said, don't abuse this. Don't extort people. Don't abuse people wrongfully. Be content with your wages. But if then the government says, well, I'll give you a perfect example of this. Um, I heard somebody one time talking about, um, things done in the military make this argument. In Matthew 2, um, who did it say killed the baby boys in Bethlehem? Herod. Herod. So who was responsible for their death? Herod. Herod. Yes, Herod is responsible for the death, but does that mean that the Roman soldiers who killed those baby boys in Bethlehem aren't responsible? No. Oh, I, no you're right. Yeah. No, that doesn't mean they're not responsible. And they, they that says the woman she told me to do it. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. Does that he, mean Adam's not responsible? No. No. So was Herod guilty? Yes. 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 Were the Roman soldiers who carried that out guilty? Yes. 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 And they couldn't excuse themselves by saying, "Well, I'm just doing my job." Yeah. A lot of terrible things have been done with the line. I'm just following orders. 
no Christian can use that as an excuse, including somebody who has gotten into the military and become a Christian. And now he says, well, I'm told to go kill the enemy. I'm just doing my job. We must serve God rather than men. What, what was the defense of a lot of the Nazis that ran the concentration camps? We were just doing, following orders. Following orders. We were just following orders. Milai Massacre. Yeah, just following orders. Yeah. Guys, we're about out of time. I don't know if we've got time to, to start a, another question here or not, but I think we had a good discussion today. No, I think we're good. Uh, we'll, we'll save that one for next week. And um, we invite everybody to send us in your questions. We're getting more c- coming in from the website. Go to BibleQuest.tv, fill out the form that's right on that page, scroll down to it, fill in the questions, and we'll get and address your questions in the next opportunity. Guys, I want to thank all of you for your, your input and um, thank you the, in the audience for your questions and comments, both uh, on um, Facebook and in the app. Anything else before we uh, quit for today? Let's just no. mention this one comment that came in. Uh, Garner pointed this out. He said, the idea of God's kingdom being universal rather than North American is a key to dealing with this issue. Very uh, good comment. Just a programming note, I think, Drew, I think you want to make an announcement about next week's webcast. Oh, you mean the one that we won't have next week? Yeah. Yeah, right. I'm glad you reminded me to say that because we will not be doing a Tuesday webcast and um, next Tuesday, obviously, and uh, that will not change because everyone is doing other things that we just can't can get involved with the, with the program at that day. So thank you for reminding me, Jeff. We will not do it. Will there be a Wednesday class uh, webcast? Next week? Next week, you're saying? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, Joe but you'll announce I, that tomorrow. Yeah, but Joe and I will both be tied up next week. So okay. All right. Chase also, I think. So. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Everyone enjoy the rest of your week. And uh, we'll hope to see everybody two weeks from today. <laughs>